Welcome, guys. I'll give you guys a chance to find a seat. Um, and then while we're finding seats, please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 7. Luke 7, and we're going to go through verses 1 through 10. Yeah, guys. How's it going, boys? Um, a little bit of a detour locationally of where we're going to be studying, um, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to flow well with where we have been studying in Matthew. We just wrapped up Matthew 7. Um, we're going to Luke 7. The reason we're jumping over there is um, the way that David is teaching through it, and then I'll also be teaching through it, is we're going timeline. So we just wrapped up in Matthew 5, 6, 7. What were we studying there? Do you guys remember? Sermon on the sick. So <clears throat> Luke 7, we're going from Sermon on the Mount to after the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is, we're going to see here in verse 1, descending into Capernaum. Um, before I get too far ahead of myself, um, I want to pray that the Lord would bless this night, um, that you guys and I would be blessed by the word. Amen. Let's pray it up real quick. Oh. Father of heaven, Lord Jesus, would you fill this place tonight, Lord? Lord, would you fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit? Would you root out distractions? Would you root out bitterness, unforgiveness, whatever's going on in our hearts or in our minds? Lord, thank you for those that showed up tonight to hear from your word. I pray that as your word goes out, it would be blessed by you, Lord. Would it fall on good soil? Um, and Lord, would we not just hear it, but would we be doers of your word as well? <clears throat> Lord, I pray again, um, you would just remove anything that's of me and that you would be glorified tonight as we read through your word in your precious, perfect, and holy name. Amen. Amen. Right on, guys. So like I said, Luke 7, 1 through 10. Also, um, I know most of you probably have one. If you don't have one, you need a Bible. Just shoot your hand up. We'll try to get somebody to get you one, but it looks like we are Ready to rock. Good to go. Sweet. <clears throat> right on, guys. Like I mentioned, we're detouring a little bit from Matthew over to Luke, following um, chronologically what's going down through the ministry of Jesus on earth. Uh, and we find ourselves here um, in Luke 7. I'm going to read through verses 1 through 4, give a little bit of context. We're going to be introduced to some really cool people um, and just kind of see what's going on out directly after the Sermon on the Mount. So verse 1. Now when he concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. So in Luke chapter 4, um, Jesus was teaching in Nazareth. Um, if you remember, if you go back, um, if you don't remember, please go back. But basically, the people are outraged and they want to cast Jesus off of a cliff in Nazareth. And at the, Bi the Bible tells us that he basically passed through their midst. So Nazareth is no longer home court. Um, it is in Capernaum, roughly about what scholars think to be like 25,000 to 28,000 people at the time. So decently sized um, city. Um, and this is kind of where Jesus has set up camp. Um, so we're in Capernaum. And a certain centurion's servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. So when, uh, so when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him pleading with him to come and heal his servant. So we're introduced to a centurion here. Um, and I found it interesting as I studied through this week, 
Guys, forgive me, my voice is kind of gnarly, so if I sound a little hoarse, I apologize. I was going to do a hoarse noise, but that's not appropriate. We're introduced to a centurion. And these centurions, for whatever reason, I'm sure not all of them, but there are multiple in Scripture who are just viewed in, for whatever reason, a really favorable light. It was a centurion who, when Paul was under Roman, um, I guess, imprisonment, that would allow Paul to be visited by his friends, by other believers, so that they could comfort him, feed him, clothe him. A centurion was allowing that to take place. It was a centurion um, that after Peter had the vision of the, the dropping sheet, hey, Peter, rise, kill, and eat. And that was the Lord basically saying, hey, like these unclean animals I've redeemed, the gospel is going to the Gentiles. And it was a centurion who... Um, basically was praying and sent out people to get Peter and bring him to his home so that Peter could relay that vision from the Lord. And here again, we're introduced to another solid, God-fearing, it would seem, centurion who has quite a really, I think, gentle and compassionate stance with this servant. Um, Verse 4, And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying, For the one for whom he should do this was deserving. Verse 5, for he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. So the centurion sends out his servants, or I'm sorry, these um, elders of the Jews, to go get Jesus and beg him earnestly to come, basically heal, save the life of his servant. Which, under Roman law, if a servant was sick, if, it, if uh, that servant was unable to do the work that they were supposed to do, technically, this Roman centurion could leave him to die, cast him out, and just, he was done. He was property. You no longer fit this role. You can no longer do this role that you are here under my roof for. You're done. Garbage. Boom. Out to the street. And that was it. That's all it had to be under Roman law. Or that centurion could just kill the servant. And because it's property, that um, servant was viewed as property, that would be, it would be no trouble. The centurions were allowed to basically off servants who were no longer profitable or serviceable to them. But this centurion seems to have not only compassion, but desperate compassion for his servant, which I thought was really cool. Um, you kind of get an early, and we're going to see more about him, but you get this early picture of the character of this centurion. And I don't know what it was necessarily, we're going to read a little more about him, but it says in um, verse 5, for he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. This Roman came from a paganistic, multi-God for everything, God for this, God for that, God for those things, God for these things. And basically, whether it was his time, basically remembering a centurion, in Israel at this time, they were there as, um, what's the proper word? Not usurpers, maybe usurpers, um, enforcers. Israel was under Roman rule, and this centurion, though he was viewed favorably, was technically a device that Caesar was using to keep Israel under Roman thumb. But maybe it was his time in Israel that maybe he saw the contrast of a pagan multi-God-worshipping nation that was, had a God for everything. And the blatant contrast of Israel 
having one God and one God alone, maybe that changed his heart. Maybe it turned something in him. We don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to deep dive into that where Scripture is silent. I want to be silent, but I think that's worthy. Maybe thinking about is, hey, what what softened the heart of this centurion? Nevertheless, um, we get this really cool picture of this guy, and uh, this word in verse four. <clears throat> excuse me, guys. Sorry. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving. Now, I don't want you guys to think this as a transactional deservedness for a good deed. That's not really what's being said here. It's not because he built us a synagogue and he loves our nation. Therefore, he deserves for you to come do this. Um, That's not necessarily what's being said here. As I studied through... There was basically this like custom in Israel and even to this day where if you loved the nation of Israel or if you were viewed as somebody who loved the Jews and helped the Jews, they view you. They can basically say to you, hey, you are deserving of grace here in Israel. You are deserving of good favor here. So that's kind of basically what may have been happening. It could have been that this centurion was in great favor and for good reasons, building a synagogue, a place of worship, and he loved the nation. And so they maybe even rightfully place this title of being deserving um, for Jesus to come here. But like I said, it is not necessarily a transaction of these good works deserve your attention, Jesus. Maybe that's how those Jewish elders were thinking about it. Maybe that's what was going on through their heads. Um, But for us, I I just quickly wanted to point out, (coughs) excuse me. That is not something that we need or should be dealing with in our day-to-day, in our minds, with as far as our cries to the Lord. It's not, Lord, I've been doing this. I've been going to church every week. I've been praying this much. I've read this many chapters of my Bible. I deserve for you to come and fix this situation. That's not what's being said. Amen? Are we clear on that? Cool. That's a dangerous road. That's a dangerous path. And I think that's something that so easily we can like tiptoe into. So I want us to look at that passage and understand that's not necessarily what it was being said. It was more of a customary thing in that time. Sound good? Cool. Verse 6. Then Jesus went with them, and he was already not far from the house. Jesus responds. I thought that was really cool. We can spend not, not a ton of time here, but Jesus is not initiating this um, inter, er, uh, this um, meeting between the servant or the centurion, Jesus, Jesse, chill, man. Um, Jesus is responding. There's a cry. There's a begging. These servants or these Jewish elders say, Jesus, please, there's a sick servant of this centurion. And Jesus, <laughs> I love him so much. Sorry, guys. Um, but Jesus so much like our Savior does, responds. Amen? I just thought that was cool and worthy of pointing out that is so like our Savior. To hear a cry, and think about it, he just got done teaching, fire teaching, on the Sermon of the Mount. Probably tired, maybe hungry, and as he's descending, he's rushed upon, Jesus, 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 there's a sick servant of a centurion, we need you to go, and he says, on it. And he follows him, amen? I thought that was cool. Guys, when we cry out, Jesus has compassion on us, and he does respond. 
I don't know who needs to hear that or if that's maybe just a quick and simple word, but we serve a compassionate and gracious and loving God who desires, <coughs> who desires to respond to our cries. Amen? We may not get the answer we want every time. We may not get the result that we think is right, but he does respond. He does love his people, and he does come to the aid of his loved ones. Sound good? Cool. Um, second half of six. <coughs> One second, guys. Mm. High-quality H2O. Um, he was already not far from the house. <coughs> the centurion sent Friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. The centurion must have been waiting, is expectant, maybe at his doorstep, maybe a few, whatever it is, yards from it, sees the Jewish elders and the friends with Jesus coming towards the house, and he sends, grabs friends, and he sends them out to deliver the message, Lord, uh, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. The centurion calls Jesus Lord. It could have been from rumor in Capernaum. If you think back, um, I have it in my notes here somewhere. Um, I'm not crazy sure. Read back through Luke, starting at chapter 1 up to here, you'll find it. But Jesus has already healed the man with the withered hand in Capernaum on the Sabbath. Maybe he heard about that. Maybe it was a response to rumors or just hearing the good things that Jesus had done in the region, maybe in Nazareth. <clears throat> maybe he just had incredible radical faith, which he does, and we'll read about in a bit. But he makes this awesome statement and says, Lord, do not trouble yourself. I'm not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Incredible meekness from this man who had a high placement in that society at the time. Now, for I'm not worthy that you should enter under my roof again culturally. If the Jews were to enter the house of a Gentile, Gentile homes were viewed as unclean. You were not supposed to go. In fact, Peter entering the home of the centurion later on after that vision, um, it's also addressed there that Peter probably should not have under Israeli custom, but because of what the Lord had revealed to him in that vision, came into the home of the Gentiles. So it could be this. It could be just a customary thing of the centurion recognizing Jesus being a great rabbi or Lord, hey, I'm not worthy for you to come into my roof. I know this may cause trouble. Or it could be the centurion also understanding, Lord, I don't deserve for you to come under my roof. Who am I? I don't deserve you to be in my home. And I thought about this verse as it relates to us. We just had Easter Sunday, and after it is done, what happens to the veil? It's ripped from top to bottom. Amen? There is that incredible fellowship that we now have where we can boldly 
come right up to the throne. The Lord not only enters into our homes, he enters into our hearts. He saw fit that he should fill us with his spirit internally, in us. Again, is it a deserving thing? Do we say, hey, I'm worthy for you to enter into me spiritually, fill me with your Holy Spirit? Not on our own merit. It is the Lord, and because of what he's done, where he says, no, now we can have complete and perfect fellowship together. But nevertheless, um, the centurion says, I'm not worried that you should enter under my roof. Verse 7, therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you. This is all, remember, being spoken through a friend that ran out to Jesus from the centurion. But say the word and my servant will be healed. For I am a man placed under authority having soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. This is incredible, incredible faith of the centurion here, and I think verse 8 kind of is the crux of, I think, where we can firmly say, no, it wasn't just circumstantial. He didn't just hear things. The centurion truly did have radical, awesome faith that Jesus had authority to heal his servant. The centurion is saying, hey, I have authority to say to this man, go, and he goes, come, and he comes, do this, and he'll do it. But Jesus is asking, Jesus, or I'm sorry, the centurion is asking Jesus to heal his servant, stating that he knew Jesus had authority not over men to go and come and do as he says, but Jesus had authority over the uncontrollable, over the sickness. I thought that was incredible as I was reading through it, and I've read this story over many times, and I'm sure you have as well. It's one of those passages where you might not even crack open your Bible because it's like, ah, I know the story. I know what's going on here. But I was baffled by this, just thinking about it. The Lord not only has authority over us to say, Josh, go this or do this. Josh, go here and do that. And I, from what he has done for me, have to say in obedience to the Lord, yes, Lord, I'll go do it. But the Lord has authority over the things that we have no control of. The Lord has authority over the oceans. I think um, Luke 8.25, that's a great one. I'm going to quick there or turn there quickly. <clears throat> I'm sorry, guys. <clears throat> but he said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid and marveled, saying to one another, who can this be? For he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Luke 5.20. When he saw their faith, he said to him, man, your sins are forgiven. The Lord has authority over the oceans, over his own creation, over the sicknesses that we're plagued with, over the hurts. He has authority over sin itself, and he has, we know, all authority under heaven and earth. Amen? And as I was just thinking about that and pondering it, I was so refreshed and so blessed just to remember simply, Lord, you have authority over all things. One thing that the centurion does really, really, really correctly 
very rightly, Lord, do not trouble yourself. There's a reverence that he spoke to Jesus with. <clears throat> I find in my own life at times I can, Lord, thank you for this. <laughs> Lord, thanks. Oh, God, by the way, I need this done. Got work. Bye. There's this quickness. There's this rapidity, which is not all wrong. But I think it would do us a lot of good when we pray and when we enter into that prayer with the Lord, that communion with the Lord, we take a moment and think about and resonate on the fact of who we get to be in communion with, who, whose throne we are coming to. And there, it's not necessarily in a, in a manner that's you have to be ultra fearful or ultra hesitant of like, okay, here I go. The Lord has given us that open line of communication. There is that that father-to-son, father-to-daughter relationship, that closeness. But I think it really, really benefits me, whether it's before I lay my head down to sleep or before I walk out for the day, when I'm praying or when I'm reading, I have a full understanding where I try to encapsulate in my mind and I have a hard time doing it, and I'm sure you guys too, of really understanding who it is, who it is that we get to just fellowship with. It's God, the creator of the heavens and the earth who has all authority, who's mighty, who's just, perfect. And I think that was a cool takeaway. Maybe the centurion got that. Maybe he had that in mind. Maybe it was respectful. I don't know. But I know for us, having the full scripture and the full knowledge of the word, we can have that understanding. We know what went down. Last week was Easter. We know the full story. We know the redemptive process, what Jesus did for us, and there's a redemptive process, and we can look on that and say, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should be in my house. And we can have that full understanding. Amen? I think it's cool. Um, more than cool. I think it's awesome. Um, verse 9. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. <clears throat> And turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Guys, I want us to have a great faith. I want to have a great faith. And I think that stems from understanding who our God is. I don't know if it's a bonus for the centurion or a slight at the people of Israel. It's a great comment, one, but it's a sad comment on the other hand. Man, what did Israel miss? Is this during his ministry in that 30-some years? Is this past, present, future? I don't know. My heart tells me maybe just presently, but I thought about that. That's such a cool thing for the centurion, what great faith he had, and the Lord marveled at it. But what a bummer it maybe must have been for the Israelites that heard that who were following him, who were close by. Guys, I want to encourage you to <sighs> stir up your faith. Maybe that's reading through Job and seeing God's faithfulness there or at the end of Job when the Lord reveals to Job who he is. Maybe it's reading through the Gospels. Maybe it's 
dropping on your knees and repenting. Maybe it's, I don't know. I don't know what it is for you or me, but if there's anything that's crept in that is chipping away or numbing that childlike, beautiful faith that maybe you once had or maybe you've never had it, I'd encourage you guys, seek the Lord. He'll honor that faith. This isn't a slight, you know, I love you guys. I'm so stoked you guys are here. Wednesdays are my absolute favorite. I love being here. So I say it gently. But has anything dumbed down your faith? Has anything come in and weakened it or minimized it? Is it worrying about your finances? Is it maybe a hurt that didn't quite work out the way you wanted it to? And you felt like maybe the Lord should have stepped in in this way and done that. Maybe I'd have more faith. I don't know. <clears throat> but being reminded how big and how good our God is, how compassionate our God is, I hope that it stirs up a fresh faith in us. Amen? It's the same faith. The same faith that when you gave your life to the Lord was there. It hasn't changed and it never will. But I hope you guys are stirred up and encouraged by that. I want to be someone who the Lord looks at and says, hey, that is great faith. And if you don't, maybe you don't have great faith and you realize that, hey, God is gracious and he's faithful whether you are or not. And it's always there. His mercies are new every morning. Amen? Cool. And those who were sent returning to the house found the servant well who had been sick. This was some holy multitasking. <laughs> the Lord, even maybe during that conversation, the servant who was sick had been made well. The servant didn't go. The servant wasn't the one who hobbled out of bed to get to Jesus. Maybe it was the faithfulness of that centurion that to seek out Jesus in the first place so that this servant would be healed. I don't know. The Lord healed this servant because of this guy's awesome faith. Maybe he had done it without it. I don't know. But that's what happened here in this text. Maybe you're in a position where you, on someone else's behalf, are coming to the Lord. Go in faith. Go in with an expectancy like this centurion <clears throat> maybe waiting at his door, go to the door for looking for the Lord, looking for the Lord to come and to heal your servant. I say that tongue-in-cheek. hope you guys don't have servants. That's really all I have, guys, but I think I was really, really refreshed and really, really blessed by realizing how compassionate and how gentle our God is. What if the centurion's faith wasn't as great? Would he have healed the servant? I don't know. Would he have gone into the home of the centurion? I don't know. But he, in his goodness, responded to that cry. And he went and he heard the faith of the centurion and the servant was healed. It's simple. It's awesome. Yeah. I'm sorry if that's not putting a beautiful bow on it here at the end, but I hope you guys are encouraged. You serve a big, powerful, loving, gentle, compassionate God.
if you don't leave with anything else, leave with that. I hope you guys are reminded that I was this week. I made the mistake of downloading Twitter a couple months ago. My wife always roasts me, just delete it. It's addicting. But it seems every time I go on there, this world is so messed up. It's so broken. It's so disgusting and dark. And it can get really overwhelming really fast. The Lord has authority over all these things. Amen? He sees it. He understands it. He has his hand over it. The outcome may not be what you think it is, but the Lord has authority over all those things. Put your trust and your faith in him and let him exercise his authority over those things. Amen? Father, thank you for this night. Lord, thank you for your total authority. You're such a good God. You're so gentle. You're so compassionate with us, Lord. Thank you for this centurion who exercised great faith for us as an example, maybe. Father, I do pray that you would just encourage us, Lord, and bolster our faith even as we walk out of these doors into a crazy, nutty world. Father, we want to lean on you. We want to trust you. Lord, if there's any sicknesses or hurts going on in our lives, Lord, maybe physical, maybe spiritual, Lord, help us to realize you have authority over those things, to trust you with that. Maybe to go back to prayer for those things. Lord, you see, you know. But Lord, I pray that you would remind us of just how much authority you hold, Lord, over over us, over the things you created. Lord, we long for you. Lord, we want to be with you. Help us to be faithful uh, while we're here. Jesus, bless this night. Help these people get home safe. And in your precious and holy name, amen.